You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good to be here. Um, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Claire, and like Eric said, I was the intern for HSM this last summer, but I go to college in San Diego, so that's why I haven't been around, and I have seriously missed you all so much. I see, like, faces. Grace, hello! <laughs> um, and yeah, I have been praying for you all, and I'm, seriously, I recognize that it's an honor and a privilege to be here um, with you all, so thank you for um, letting me come back. Um, and so, like Eric said, it's really special because the last time I was here, we were opening this series 66, um, named after the 66 books of the Bible, um, going through the entire story. And now we're here ending it. And I'm really excited to open up Revelation with you all. And um, this kind of can be a confusing book. So I'm excited to dig into the truth um, that is so clear in it. Um, And what I want to do is start out by kind of just walking through what we've looked at so far, because it's no small thing um, what we've been doing since September, which is starting in Genesis and looking at the story um, all the way through the end. So if you remember, we started in the very beginning with God himself, and we were in the book of Genesis, and there's God. And he speaks, and he creates the heaven and the earth, and he fills it. And then he gets this crazy idea, and he creates humanity, Adam and Eve. And for a while, humanity is living with God in perfect harmony. But it doesn't take very long. It actually takes three chapters um, for our sinful nature to help us rebel against God and God's will for our life. And so where everything was perfect and we were living with God, because of our sin, We become separate from God. And that eternal separation, if God is everything good, that's our our death. And sin and the consequences of being separated from God is that it leaves us, our work, this earth, relationships, and our relationship with God completely broken. And in that moment, at the very beginning in Genesis 3... God executes his justice for sin. Those are the consequences. But he follows up with his amazing grace. And we see that theme happen throughout the entire Old Testament. And we saw that God chose a man named Abraham and promised Abraham to make a nation out of him. And from Abraham's descendants, God builds a chosen nation called Israel, made to to bring glory to God and to be a blessing here on this earth. And we saw that Israel experienced amazing things from God. In the book of Exodus, he uses Moses to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. He leads them through the Red Sea, parts the water so that they might walk on dry land. And he guides them through the desert to the promised land with a cloud of fire, which is crazy. But even after seeing all who God is and all he can do, Israel still makes mistakes and lives in a world that is scarred by sin. And the law given to the Israelites shows them that they are far from God's perfection. 
Moses, many of the judges, and even the great King David ended up sinning at some point in their life. But we saw that our God is so great that he meets us in our emotions. And the Psalms show us that we can come to him no matter what we're feeling, and God sees us. And the books of wisdom, like the Proverbs, help guide us to live for God in this sinful earth. And then we saw books of prophecy. Some illustrate humanity's sinful nature despite God's faithfulness. And others speak of a savior, of a Messiah, who would come and make peace and would heal humanity and our relationship with God by his own wounds. And like David was praying a little bit earlier tonight, Israel waits hundreds of years for this promise to be fulfilled. Until finally, in what the Bible says is in the fullness of time, God is faithful to his promise and steps down from his heavenly throne to a manger in the dirt and sends his son, Jesus Christ, to earth in the form of a baby. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus, we see his life and his earthly ministry and how he turns everything upside down. He teaches that in order to be first, you must be last. That if you want to find your life, you have to lose it to him first. And then he says that through his sacrifice, all people, Israelites and people from other nations, any nations, any background, would be saved from their sin. And that doesn't really make sense for a while until Jesus, who lived a sinless life, was wrongly accused and put to death on a cross. And through that was able to take on our sin and pay the ultimate price for it. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And three days later is the good news. The Father raises Jesus from the dead. And that same resurrection power, the Holy Spirit, lives in you and me. It lives in anyone who believes that God sent his son Jesus to earth and that Jesus died and rose again for their sins. And that anyone who confesses that would have eternal life. And then we saw that Jesus leaves his followers with a mission, telling them to go and share this amazing gospel, the good news of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection out of his love for us and for all of humanity. And we see that lives change because of God and because of this gospel. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at some letters written to the church, to people who have now decided to follow Jesus. And these letters encourage them to leave their sinful ways and to continue following Jesus. This is the story of the Bible that we get to right here in Revelation. And you've heard this almost every week, but it's because we really want to emphasize this. And this is big idea number one. The Bible is a collection of many stories that tells one big story about God's love for and redemption of his people. And I hope that you've seen that through this series. And what's crazy is that the Bible is written across three different continents, over 40 authors, and many of them didn't really know about the others and that others were writing about Jesus. And it's crazy that they all come together and fit perfectly like a puzzle. And I, I, for me, I just can't, I can't help but 
believe, like, this is God-inspired. Only God could have done something like this. And so tonight, what I want to do is take a look at the promises of Revelation and also point out some things that are in this book but exist throughout the entire Bible. So talking about these letters, when we open Revelation, the first three chapters are actually letters pretty similar to those that Paul and John and Peter wrote. But they're from Jesus. So John, if you remember, he wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, John gets exiled to an island for preaching the Gospel. And God, we don't really know if he gave John a vision or like beamed him up to heaven, but however he did it, um, he revealed truths to John and said, John, write this down. Write this down. This is important. Um, And so let's see what he had to say. Basically, these letters really echo again what Paul and Timothy wrote. And I think it brings up this idea of that when we decide to follow Jesus, our lives don't automatically become perfect and pain-free and totally good. I think that's a lie that maybe a lot of us have faced, that once we become a Christian, life is totally easy. But that's not the truth, and I know a lot of you know that firsthand experience. I was amazed this summer talking to so many of you um, who got baptized at Camp Tioga, who told me afterwards, like, after I made that decision to go public for Jesus, it actually got harder to follow him. That maybe there were sins that came up, temptation, um, different ways that maybe the enemy was trying to get you to stop following Jesus. And I think we can all relate to feeling like there's still pain and brokenness in this world and in these relationships. And as followers of Christ, we're experiencing God. We have new life with him. But I think that there's still pain and brokenness and that there's a longing in us for something that we're not yet experiencing. And what I love about Revelation and the Bible is that I feel like God knew that we would have this feeling, and he answers it with another promise. And so find me in Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verses 11 through 12. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So here's this promise that that God gives us, and we're going to dig more into that in a second. But I want to point out big idea number two is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you are absolutely given purpose. We talked about God telling us to go and share this good news. But you still face persecution and pain. And that's kind of hitting on what we just talked about, is that just by becoming a Christian, life doesn't get perfect automatically. Again, I think we're longing for something more. And this is the promise that that God is giving us, is that God will make all things new. 
that when he ends our earthly life or comes again, he will make a new Jerusalem where everything is perfect and we're once again living with God. And that's exciting, right? And what's so cool is Revelation continues to give us this picture of what will it look like in eternity? What will it look like when we're with God? And so turn to Revelation 7, if you have your Bible. Revelation 7, verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever Amen. Skip down to verse 15. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, this is the picture that God promises us. That beyond this life, there's a new Jerusalem, a new place where we will be with God. I love that picture of God wiping, God himself wiping every tear from our eyes. That there's no more pain and no more sorrow. That we are with God completely satisfied. And so, friends, this is our third big idea. Followers of Christ are waiting for the hope of eternal life with God. We will see, serve, and reign with him. Once again, followers of Christ are waiting for the hope of eternal life with God. We will see, serve, and reign with him. And this is just so incredible because God is promising that in eternity, our faith becomes sight. Like we would talked about, our hurts will be healed. The enemy will be defeated. There will be no more sorrow and no more pain. And maybe some of you can relate to this feeling of maybe you're following Christ and you're experiencing him and he's transforming your heart. But there's a part of you that still longs for something more. Maybe sometimes you still go to other places to satisfy you. But God is saying that he himself will satisfy us in eternity. God is dwelling among us. He will protect us and care for us and love him and love us. And we will constantly worship him. And Pastor Eric gave me this quote about eternity. And it says that we will continue the culture of the full reign of the kingdom of God. And I love that picture of we will be living out of the truth that God is our God and he loves us and has bought us with his blood. And that is the picture, that is the hope that we have as followers of Christ. And so there are three things that I kind of want to point out that I think are helpful in thinking about this picture of eternity with God. 
And so the first one is this wedding metaphor. And maybe you picked it up in this passage, but it's in other parts of Revelation. It's described as a wedding banquet and that God is like the bridegroom waiting for us, his bride, to come spend eternity with him. Now, I'm not married, so I don't know very much about marriage, but um, I've been to a few weddings, and um, I've heard that for, on your wedding day, there is great anticipation. There's great anticipation and joy to be united with the one that you love. And I think it's so cool that God gave us this metaphor because it's a small picture that our earthly minds can wrap our mind around that is just one, sorry, it's like a small way that God is waiting for us in eternity, that God is so anticipating being with us. He's so excited about it. He has so much joy that it's like a groom waiting for his bride. He can't wait to be with us. So that's one picture I want to point out. And another idea that I want to talk about is this idea of thirst. In the passages we read, it said that we will no longer hunger or thirst. We will be completely satisfied. And if you remember, way back in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, one of the consequences of sin, if you read Genesis 3, God basically says, you will search and long for things to satisfy you. And for us, maybe we can really relate to that. Maybe you're looking to be fulfilled in romantic relationships or school or performance or what other people think of you. And what happens is because of sin, none of those things will ever satisfy us because God is the only one who can fill that hole in our heart. He's the only one who can truly satisfy us. And in eternity, when we're with God, there will be no need to thirst because he will be with us, completely satisfying us. And I think one verse that is really helpful to really think about this is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. This is Paul writing. And he says in verse 12, For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I think Paul really gets this picture of eternity painted here in Revelation. As a follower of Christ, again, you have the Holy Spirit. You're experiencing the Lord. He's with you. He's working in your life. But it's, we only see dimly. We only see as if it's a reflection in the mirror. But then, in eternity, we will see God face to face. And our faith and our hope will be fulfilled. And I, th I think that's why Paul says that the greatest of these is love, is because in eternity, when we're face-to-face -face with God, again, our faith and hope are fulfilled. And all maybe we experience is God's presence and his great love for us. And I think that's incredible. So once again, I don't want you to miss this picture of eternity. This is what God has for for everyone, what he offers to everyone. Imagine everything you've ever hoped for and longed for. You are healed. You are fulfilled. 
And the key is that God doesn't necessarily give you everything that you desire. Instead, he gives us himself. And God himself fulfills us more than anything ever can. And so maybe you're, you're, think, you're seeing this picture of eternity and you're like, wow, that sounds amazing. I long for the day that I don't have to cry anymore, that I don't have to experience this pain, um, that I can be with God and completely satisfied. Why doesn't God just come? Why, why doesn't this just happen now? Well, in 2 Peter 3.9, I think we really see God's heart behind this. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think that God longs for all his people, all his children, all of humanity to call him Lord and to follow him and to enjoy this promise of being with him for eternity. And so this is our last big idea of the night, big idea number four, is that God is in the process of restoring his kingdom, but he longs for all people to put their faith in him. And what's so sweet is the book of Revelation, our God, he ends the Bible with an invitation and he says, in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And so, friends, as we end this series, you've been asked this question before, but I think what God gives us through his word is this question of, I've given up everything to have you back. Would you accept my free invitation to follow me and to spend eternity with me? And so that is the question that I have for us is, personally, in your own heart right now, have you ever accepted God's free invitation to come, follow him, and live with him forever. And I think what I don't want us to miss is that this gift, this invitation is free because of God. God sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, in order to win us back. And that's why it's free. God paid the price for it already. All you have to do is to confess your sin, believe in Jesus as Lord, and follow him. Commit your life to him. And something that I want you to see that's been so helpful for me is that what we saw in Revelation is that it ends with an invitation. But we've seen God give this invitation to us before. In John 7, Jesus himself, verses 37 and 38, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. And 
hundreds of years before, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to give the same invitation to all of humanity. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3 say, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And what I hope each of you see is that for all of history, God has been extending an invitation to humanity saying that God has paid the price for our sins so that we can live with him and experience full and abundant life. And again, I hope you see that the Bible is one story that shows God's great love for and redemption of his people. And once again, God is still, still has this invitation open to us today. And I want all of us to spend a couple moments with God really asking, us the, asking yourself the question, have you ever accepted God's free invitation for eternal life? And if you have never, would you like to tonight? And maybe you have accepted this invitation before, but maybe in some way you've gone astray. Maybe there are things that you need to confess in order to re-accept this free invitation. And so what I want all of us to do is to have this moment, think about this whole series, think about this picture tonight of spending an eternity with our God, the creator of the universe, to be completely satisfied, completely fulfilled, and completely healed. And ask yourself, have I ever accepted this invitation do I want to tonight? And so I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. Everyone can close their eyes. And ask yourself that question. Have you ever accepted God's free invitation for eternal life? If you have not, would you like to tonight? And maybe you have, but there are some ways that you... You've gone astray, you, but you want to come back to God. Can you do that tonight? And if you've answered yes to any of those questions, all you need to do is quietly in your heart right now is to talk to God and to confess your sin, believe in him as Lord, ask him into your heart. I'm going to reread Revelation 22, 17. I'll give a brief moment of pause for you to do this with God, and then I'll pray for us. Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit... ...the water of life.
Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you are a powerful God, that you love justice, but also mercy and steadfast love. God, thank you for your word, that it shows us your character and your heart for all of us, that, that you love us so much that no matter how much we sin and how much we rebel, you would sacrifice yourself in order to win us back. God, I pray that you be moving through the hearts of each and every one of these students right now, and that if any student has chosen to accept you for the first time or has chosen to rededicate their lives to you, God, would you comfort them? God, would you show them that you are with them? And God, would you have those students share with the people in their life group and with their leaders so that we can come alongside them on this journey of following you in this life? And God, thank you that through the pain and sorrow and brokenness of this world, we have a hope of eternity with you. God, thank you that you love us and you heal us and you satisfy us beyond anything, more than anything ever could. God, we love you so much. I thank you for each and every one of these students. It's in your name that I pray.